believers cease to worship, compromise, or grow cold in their worship, they dry up, become unfruitful, and useless for God's purpose. This message is the sixth in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Fresh Worship, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. So grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, as we turn our attention to this series of messages we're involved in called Fresh. And I want to talk to you today, as we started talking last week, about fresh worship. How do we develop a freshness in our worship, our relationship with God, and how we worship Him? We talked last weekend about the fact that certain things are essential to life and to health. And I gave you the illustration of a plant. And a plant, for it to grow and to be productive, has to be put in the right soil. It has to have sunlight. and has to have rain. It has to have carbon dioxide. There are all these elements that are necessary if a plant is going to grow. And the same is true for you and me. If we're going to be all that God intended for us to be, we have to be planted in the right soil, if you will. We have to have the right nutriments, the right sunlight, spiritually speaking, and all the other elements that will help us to become fully productive, all that God wants us to be. And one of those environments that God wants you to be planted in is in the environment of or the atmosphere of worship. Because you're going to flourish best when you learn how to have the right kind of worship in your life. If you don't have the right kind of worship, you'll never flourish. You'll never become as fully productive as God intends for you to be. And so we're talking about how do you have the right kind of worship. And when I say the right kind of worship, it implies that there is a wrong kind of worship. And there is a wrong kind of worship. When you're worshiping the wrong God, little g, you're in trouble. And anytime we have the wrong worship in our life, even though we are worshiping, we're worshiping something that is unworthy of our worship. And because of that, it hinders us from becoming everything God wants us to be. And so we're talking about how how do we understand this worship thing? How do we freshen our worship relationship with God? Last weekend, we talked about two things. We talked about the fact that who or what you worship matters. It makes a difference. It affects who you become. If you worship worthless things, your life becomes worthless. If you worship God, your life becomes more more godly because you begin to take on the character of that that you worship. And we also talked last weekend about the fact that right worship is something that you need. It's not just a a nicety in your life. It is a necessity. And so it's not just something for some folks to do. We all need to be the right kind of worshipers. Now, this weekend, I'm going to share three more things with you that will help you to understand how to freshen your worship and what worship is all about. And the first thing for us to take a look at this week is that right worship is all about who you are as well as something you do. It's about who you are as well as something you do. So two elements. Worship always involves your being as a person, who you are as a person, your relationship with God, and what you do in response to Him. I want to start by talking about this who you are because that's where real worship begins. According to the Bible, God is primarily, first and foremost, concerned about you as a person. He's concerned about you on the inside. He's concerned about your inner being. In fact, when they were looking for a king, when Israel was looking for the second king of, uh, for, for Israel, and Sa- Samuel was sent out to find one of the sons of uh, Jesse to be the king, God made it very clear. He said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks where? At the heart. And so when God looks at you and me, when it comes to worship, what does he first inspect? The first thing that he inspects in your life and in my life, he inspects our heart. That's where real worship begins. In fact, notice what Jesus said about worship in John chapter 4, verse 24. Would you read this together with me aloud and loudly? Here we go. 
God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and if we're going to worship him, we have to worship him how? In spirit and in truth. And so this spirit thing, our spirit has to connect with the spirit of God. Your spirit is related to your heart. It's related to your innermost being. And so real worship starts with what happens inside of you, the truth of where you are in your relationship with God. Now, notice Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The emphasis, again, is found on the issue of the heart, who you are. Let me read this for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Let me stop there for a moment and remind you that this says this passage is addressed to brothers and sisters. Who is that? That's us, okay? And so this is a passage that relates to Christians. It's not to unbelievers. It's not to people that don't know God. It's for you and me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what's the next word there? Worship. Now listen to how he describes this kind of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where is your mind? Your mind is a part of your heart. Your mind is a part of your inner being. So we are to be renewed or transformed by the renewing of our mind. Something happening not first and foremost outwardly, but something happening where? Inside of us. And so worship, again, is first and foremost about who you are. He goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, as good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when God comes to you and says, I want to freshen up your worship, where does he start the freshening process? Where? Inside, in your heart, right? Who you are, okay? So it's first and foremost, it's about your heart. Now, all through the scriptures, this is emphasized in lots of different ways. But one of the ways it's emphasized is you see God condemning or correcting or disciplining or even punishing people who had superficial worship or insincere worship. They, they did the right outward things of worship, but they had a problem with their heart. Take a look, if you will, at Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, and what Jesus said about the people during his day who actually had the worship, the, the, the activities of worship externally. They were doing the right things outwardly, but their hearts were not right. Listen to these words. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That is, they're going through the right stuff with their worship, but there's a problem with their Heart. Now listen to the Old Testament book of Amos, the prophet Amos speaking to Israel. They too were in a time when they were doing all the right things externally in their worship, but they had a problem with their heart. Now this passage ought to get your attention. Every time I read this passage, it shakes me up, and I hope it will shake you up in a good way as well today. Here God speaks to His people, and He says this, powerful words. I hate your show and pretense. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the show they're putting on and the pretense or the pretending they bring to their worship. God says, I don't, it's not just I dislike it. What are the first two words? I, I hate. I hate your show and pretense, your hypocrisy of honoring me with your religious feast and solemn assemblies, that is, with your structures and orders of worship. 
I will not accept your burnt offerings and thank offerings. Again, he's talking about their outward forms of worship. I will not look at your offerings of peace. Again, outward forms of worship. Away with your hymns of praise. Again, outward forms of worship. They are mere noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music no matter how lovely it is. Isn't that amazing? Notice now in verse 24 why God says this. He says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a torrent of doing good. God says, all this stuff you're doing externally, I'm tired of it. I don't want to just see. I want to see something that flows from your heart. I want to see something good coming out of your life because there's something good in your heart. Okay? So real worship, where does it begin? Your heart. So can I ask you a question this, this morning? How's your heart? What's going on inside of you? What have you allowed to seep into your heart that might be affecting your worship? In a few moments, I'm going to describe some of those things that we can allow to seep into our heart. But what I want you to understand is this. If your heart is not right, you can go through all the forms of worship. You can come and do all the outward expressions of worship that might be expected of you in a worship assembly or expected of you in a worship practice for your life. But if your heart is not where your heart needs to be, God God looks past all that other stuff, and what does he go to? To your heart. He says, I- I'm really interested in who you are. Now, worship is not only about who you are, but worship is also about what you do. Let me explain it to you this way. God says, if your heart is where it needs to be, let's just, let's just assume this, this morning that your heart is right. We're going to give you a check mark there, okay? Let's say that everything's good to go with your heart. Then, the next thing we turn to is your actions of worship. By the way, can everybody see this okay? Is it coming through all right? Your actions of worship. Now, here's the problem we have as human beings. Sometimes we think that we can define the way we're going to worship God. We can say, okay, God, I just want to worship you the way I want to worship you. I'll just worship you the way that I feel like I want to do it. But that's wrong because the Bible actually gives us a prescribed way to worship. God says, I'm going to tell you how I want you to worship me. I want your heart to be right. And once your heart is right, I want you to learn the prescribed way to worship me. That is, I've given you instructions and in how I want you to go about your worship. Quick story. Do you remember the time in the Old Testament when the Ark of the Covenant, some of you may remember, remember this story, the Ark of the Covenant had, uh, had been taken away from Israel, and so the Philistines had the Ark, and the, once it was sent back, they were trying to bring it to Jerusalem. David wanted, brought, David wanted it brought to Jerusalem, and he sent some guys down to get the Ark, and they put it on a cart to bring back, and the oxen stumble, and the cart falls over, and a couple of the guys try to steady the Ark by touching it. Do you remember what happened to them? What happened? They died, right? Remember that story? And David was all distraught about it. He seeks God, goes back to the Bible, and realizes, oh, my goodness, you can't put the ark on the cart, and you can't touch it. You have to put the ark on poles carried on the shoulders of the Levites. That's the way the ark is to be transported. God had a prescribed way that he wanted his presence to be carried, the ark of the covenant. So God has a way he wants to be worshipped. Would you say that with me? God has a way he wants to be worshipped. He said, I 
I want you to worship me this way. Now, when God gives us a prescribed way for us to worship Him, I'll give you a little insight here. It's not because of God. It's because of you. It's because He knows the way you need to worship Him. He knows some things that you would not probably do in your worship of Him that you need to do if you're going to experience the fullness of holiness and health and wholeness that will come from your worship. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to give you nine prescribed ways that God says that you are to be a worshiper of Him. Everybody ready for this? Are you ready? All the folks in Frederick, are you ready? All right, good. Here we go. Number one, the Bible says the prescribed way of worshiping God is by singing praise to Him. I'm going to give you a a reference, uh, one verse reference to each of these nine points. I could literally give you dozens of references, but I just don't have time this weekend. I'm simply going to give you a one reference that you can look up on your own. I'll give you Psalm chapter 7, verse number 17. God says, when you approach me in worship, if your heart is right, I want you to come before me with singing. God says, I have ordained you and called you in worship to be a singer. Some of you say, you know what? I don't sing very well. That really doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with how good your voice is, how much you can carry a tune. It has little to do with that. What it has to do with is your willingness to lift your voice in song and to sing out the praises of God. God expects everyone to be a singer. Now, you are a singer. I know you are. Check out yourself in the shower sometime. And you may not be able to carry, as the old proverbial saying goes, a tune and a bucket, but nevertheless, you are a singer. And when you pick up songs, even though you may be a monotone in the way that you sing it, what I will tell you is that all of us are singers. And so when the praise and worship of God gets in your heart, no matter how gifted you are in singing, you will lift your voice in song. That's one of the reasons why we have as a part of our worship service a time of singing. Why? Because we want, as a people of God, to raise our voice together in song to Him, to give Him the praise with the melodies of music that provide and the lyrics of music provide opportunity for us to express our adoration of Him. So it's time to become a singer. Don't come to church and during the worship service just sit here like this. Open your mouth and sing. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are a singer. Go tell them, you're a singer. Turn to the other one and say, you may not be very good, but you are a singer, okay? And God says, I want you to raise your voice my prescribed way. I don't care what you feel like or don't feel like. It's how I've told you to do it. Number two, speaking thanks and praise to God. God says, if you want to worship me, if your heart's right, then I expect you to worship me by speaking out your thanks and your praise. That's why sometimes in our service, I will invite us as a congregation, just right where you are, speak out your praise, speak out your worship. Don't sing it, but speak it. And there are times that you and I need to engage, yes, publicly, but also privately. And the speaking out of our thanksgiving and praise to God, is there a time in your day, a time in your devotions, when you stop for a moment and aloud you speak out with your voice, God, I thank you, and God, I praise you, and God, I worship you for who you are. I'm grateful for your blessing in my life. Do you lift your voice not just in song, but in spoken word, articulating your desire to honor God? Psalm 34, verse number one is your reference there. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That is, I will speak out 
my blessing to God. Number three is lifting hands to God. The Bible says if you're going to worship me, one of the actions of worship that I prescribe is the lifting of your hands to God. Now, for some of you, you you understand this, you get it. For others of you, it might be something new to you. For others of you, maybe you don't like the idea at all. I will tell you that I grew up in a culture, a church culture, that we never lifted our hands in worship. It was not something that I was familiar with. And the first time I went to a worship service where people were lifting their hands, I thought, man, this is really, really strange. What are all these people doing? Why are they lifting up their hands in praise to God? I'll never do that. And the longer the service went on, the more open I became to the idea. And a little bit through the service, as I at first said, I'm not going to do it, I found myself doing something about like this. Oh, you know, you've done that too, haven't you? Right? Yeah, I don't want to go all the way with this thing. I'm not going to be fanatical, but I'll just try it. And before long, it's kind of like... And then to the place of being able to raise my hands to God. Why is that important? There are lots of reasons why it's important because when you raise your hand to God, first of all, it gets you out of your comfort zone, doesn't it? It's a statement of your surrender to God. It's the universal sign of surrender. Anytime someone is surrendering, it's usually identified with waving a white flag or lifting their hands. And when you and I lift our hands to God, when our heart is right, see, just lifting your hands, if you've got a bad heart, hey, if your heart's not right with God, lifting your hands is not going to cure things for you. But if your heart is right with God, when you lift your hands, you're saying, God, I'm opening my heart to you. I'm giving you access to my life. I'm surrendering to you. It's also a sign of affection. When my grandchildren run up to me, what they do still to this very day is, in fact, I saw them last night, my almost seven-year-old grandson. You know what he did when he saw me? Just like that. It was instinctive. Why? It was a sign of affection. He wanted me to embrace him. And so the lifting of hands, Psalm 63, verse number 4, is your reference for that. Number 4, God says a prescribed way of worshiping me is the clapping of your hands, excuse me, your hands in praise. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to God in a voice of triumph. This is Psalm chapter 47, verse number 1. Think about this, that it's very normal when you appreciate something that you respond with what? Applause. That's just the way it works. All around the world. I've traveled all around the world. It's, again, a universal thing. You don't have to teach people to applaud. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. There's always, when something is appreciated, there is a response of humanity like this. Well, would you agree with me that God's done some incredible things in your life? That God's done some mighty awesome things in your life and there are appropriate times for you to clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. That's why, for example, here in our services, this is a part of some of the more upbeat songs that we use. We encourage you, clap your hands. Why? Because you're engaging, you're showing. When I clap my hands, I'm showing God, I appreciate you. You've been a blessing in my life. You're my Savior, my Redeemer. I'm applauding you for your greatness. Number five, what's a prescribed way of worshiping? Giving tithes and offerings to God's work. The Bible is very clear that giving is a part of your worship, giving of your material resources. All through the Scripture, Old and New Testament. Old and New Testament. 
Part of worship involves the giving of our resources. Tithes first and offerings to God. Now, tithe is the first 10% of that which God blesses you with, and it goes back to God. I, I, learned, I learned this principle as a kid. I've told you this story before. When I was about seven, six, six or seven years of age myself, my dad gave me my first allowance. It was a dime. Actually, it was 10 pennies. And along with the 10 pennies, he gave me a box of offering envelopes. And he said, son, I want you to understand something. I'm going to give you an offer. I'm going to give you an allowance every week. It'll be 10 cents. And one of those pennies I want you to put in the offering envelope for the church. You will take that to you, Sunday school with you, and you give that to God. That belongs to him. That is not yours. That penny belongs to God. One penny out of every dime, one dime out of every dollar belongs to God. Now, I was not real happy about that because one penny represented a double bubble, bubble gum. Yeah, back in those days, in a special store, sometimes you'd get two for a penny. And so my initial response was, God's stealing my bubble gum. But I realized something, I'll say it in simple terms, and I've lived this way my entire life and beyond this as God has allowed us to grow and learn the value of giving. I've learned this. I've learned that I would rather have nine pieces of bubble gum with God's blessing than ten without it. Because God blesses you. When you do it His prescribed way, there's a blessing that flows as a part of it. Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9 is the reference there, bringing our offerings to God as a part of our worship. Number six, how do we, how do we worship God? What's the prescribed way? We do so by caring for the needy. When you and I care for those who are less fortunate than we are, the disenfranchised, those that are in need of justice and mercy, the Bible says that what we're doing is we're actually worshiping God. Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 9. Every time you care for someone who is in need, you're showing an act of mercy, an act of worship. Micah 6, 8, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So being merciful is an expression of our, our thanksgiving and our praise. Number seven, working with excellence. When you and I approach our job with a spirit of excellence, that is putting our best into our job, whatever it is, we are actually turning our work into worship. See, your work is not designed just to be work. Your design is meant to be a part of your worship to God. You know that work, sometimes work, th people think of work as a curse. I want to tell you something, folks. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. See, the, 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 the gift of work came to mankind before the curse. See, before man was cursed, before man fell in the Garden of Eden and sinned against God, and of course he then had to work by the sweat of his brow, and, and of course some elements of curse came with that. But before that, God took Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, and he gave them a job. He said, I want you to dress this garden and take care of it. This is your work. And so your work is never to be viewed as a curse. Your, your work is to be viewed as a way that God has created you so that you can worship him, that whatever gifts or skills that you have, that you're utilizing those for the betterment of your family and the betterment of our world and environment and, in, 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 and committing yourself through the worship of God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily with all of your might. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Number 8. I'll give you a moment to write down Colossians 3, 23. The eighth prescribed way of worship is bowing in reverence to God. 
That's Luke chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. There are times in your life that you need to simply bow before God. You need to physically, in a posture, bow yourself before Him. There are times that I will literally prostrate myself out before God, lay flat on the floor, and pray, why? That's not some strange thing to do. It's a way that I can physically, with my posture, say, God, you're God and I'm not. I need you and I lay myself. You can read it in the scriptures how many times over and over again the Bible speaks of us bowing before God, humbling ourselves before Him. And sometimes one of the greatest things you can do is bow your heart before God because that posture is a prescribed act of worship. And the reference there again, Luke 17, 15, and 16, we talked about it last weekend where there were 10 lepers who came to Jesus. He healed all 10 of them. They went away. One came back. And you remember the one that came back, what he, what he did when he approached Jesus. What does the Bible say that he did? He fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him and praised him. And dear ones, there are times in your life, in my life, that we need to fall at our feet, fall at Jesus' feet and thank him and praise him for what he's done. Amen? And then number nine, prescribed way of worship is showing, sharing, I should say, sharing stories of God's works in your life. I'll give you a moment to write that down. Sharing stories of God's work. Write Psalm 62, verse 2 there as your reference. Now, if you'll just look up this way just for, for a moment. Frederick Gaithersburg. How many of you can raise your hand and say, God has done something in my life at some point in time? Raise your hand. Look at there. You wouldn't be here today had God not done something in your life. If God's done something in your life, that something is a story. Whatever that something is, is a story. Because there was a point that led up to God doing this. There was an action of God doing something for you, and there's a follow-up to what He did, and so there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's an ongoing process of what God's doing in your life. Everybody has a story of their relationship with God, and the world needs to hear your story because your story is a story of good news. And what our world desperately needs today is our world needs some good news because every time you open up a newspaper, every time you go to a news site on the internet, the first thing you see and the predominant thing that you see is bad news. It's everywhere, all around us. Our world is inundated today with bad news, bad economic news and bad political news and bad uh, criminal news and all kind of just fill in the blank. Health issues, people are all kind of stuff that you'll see filling up the pages of our news sites. Now, with all that bad news, would you agree we need some voices of good news in our world? And guess what? That's what you're called to be. You're called to be an evangel. I talked about it this past Wednesday evening. If you missed the teaching, you really should get it. Every believer is called to be a bearer of good news, to lift up their voice and to tell a story of God's work in their life. So when was the last time you told a story to someone about God's work in your life? Share those stories, Psalm 66, verse 2. Now, notice Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. This is on your notes, so I want you to read this together with me. And this sort of pulls it all together. You ready? Here we go. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now stop there for a moment. That's another sermon for another day. It's going to be a good one too. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll notice that passage, it includes two elements, what you are, your heart, as well as your actions, a prescribed way of worship. Let me say a couple more things before we move on to our other points here. I know that I'm um, spending a lot of time on this. I'm going to cover the other two points fairly quickly. Please listen to what I'm going to say and listen to my heart when I say it because this will help you if you'll listen closely. This might affect maybe a culture that you came from. Worship is not something you do when the Spirit, only when the Spirit moves you. There's some mindsets that I worship when the Spirit gets a hold of my emotions and I, I just can't help but worship because the Spirit moves me to worship. Now, I'm not saying that the Spirit can't move you. I've been moved by the Spirit a lot of times in my life. And so the Spirit can move you. And some of you here need to be moved. Okay? So the Spirit can move you. It's a good thing when the Spirit move you, moves you. But understand something. A lot of people sit back and worship. And they're waiting for a feeling. They're waiting for a goosebumps on top of their goosebumps. They're waiting for that quiver in their liver. So that at some point in time, they feel something. And they can't help but, woo, worship. There's nowhere in the Bible that the Bible teaches you that, the, that you have to be moved by the Spirit to worship. No. Understand what the Bible really teaches is this. When you worship, you move the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all that's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to be moved by the Spirit, let me tell you what you ought to do. You ought to start worshiping. See, that is the don't let the tail wag the dog. Understand what the dog is and what the tail is. And I will tell you the first thing, where the, where the horses are and where the cart is. If you want your cart to move, you've got to start worshiping God. You make a choice to say, I'm going to do these nine things. I will guarantee you something when when you do these nine things consistently in your life, as long as your heart is where your heart needs to be, you won't have to worry about the Spirit moving you. You'll be moved by the Spirit on a regular basis. So it's very important that we get this because worship, listen, worship is not, never has been, never will be about your emotions. Worship is all about who God is, and God is worthy. Whether you feel like it or not, He's worthy all the time, 24-7, 365. There's never a time, notwithstanding what you may be feeling at any moment, God is always worthy of your worship. So it has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with who God is. Let me say one more thing before we move on. I'm never going to get to the other two points. <laughs> but if I don't, that's okay because we need to stay on these. No one else can do your worshiping for you. Did you hear what I just said? There's nobody else that can do your worshiping for you. You have to choose to be a worshiper yourself. And by the way, you can't worship just sort of by osmosis and vicariously just by showing up at church. It's a good thing to show up at church. That's great. But worship is about your engagement. Okay? It's about, see, worship is a participatory activity. Okay? It's something that you are 
participating in, that you are engaging in as a part of your responsibility. So it's not something that just you go through passively. It's something that you choose to do with your engagement. Let me quickly go to the last two points. We're going to be done. The second point is your worship can be cooled. It can be compromised. There are things that can cool you off in your worship and compromise your worship. This can drain your heart and stop your actions. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to take you to the third point now. The third point is this. Your worship can be renewed. I will say this about the second point. I knew I couldn't get past it without saying something. Okay. Because worship is so important, Satan will do everything he can to keep you from being a worshiper. He'll work double time, overtime, and some way to try to keep you from being a worshiper of God. There are many ways that he does that. I don't have time today to talk about all the different ways Satan works in wily fashions. He gets stuff in your heart that shouldn't be there. He gets stuff in your mind that shouldn't be there. He gets you preoccupied with stuff you shouldn't be preoccupied with. He gets you engaged in stuff that ain't none of your business. That where you get caught up in things that you get tracked, you get pulled aside. Things that just, you just pull, distract you from being a worshiper. All kinds of tri- tricks. The Bible says that Satan is a crafty foe. He is a wily one. He is a schemer. He has methodologies that he uses to try to get us from being a worship. The reason is because what Satan wanted when he was Lucifer in heaven and the reason he was cast out of heaven is because Lucifer wanted worship that rightfully belonged to God. And now every time you and I give worship to God, he's reminded of what he wanted but didn't get. And so he wants to stop you from being a worshiper. He'll do everything he can to cool off your worship, to compromise your worship. But here's the good news. Once you get, if you've gotten cool and compromised, the good news is that your worship life can be renewed. It can be refreshed. Quickly, let me go back to the story we've been looking at together about the king by the name of Josiah. I'm going to tell you a quick story. We're going to wrap up in about two to three minutes here. Or five. There were, Josiah had a, a grandfather. Remember his name? Manasseh had a father, Ammon. The reason we've been talking about Josiah, he was a great refresher. He brought revival to Judah. Refreshing. Manasseh Ammon, for about 60 years approximately, they had led, they had led Judah astray. They were apostate. They were idolatrous. The books of the law had been removed. Nobody had a copy of the Bible. Josiah comes on the scene. God begins to stir the 16-year-old boy's heart to lead people back to God. He begins the process of restoring the worship of God or the, restoring or cleaning out the idols of, of, of all these other foreign gods out of Judah. And he begins the refreshing of the temple. When they're in the temple, they discover a Bible, okay, of the book of the law. They begin to read it. They realize, my goodness, we're in trouble. He tears his robes. We've gone through all those stories about that. But Something else Josiah discovers while he's reading the Bible. He discovers that for about 60 years, they have not, God's people have not been, say it with me, they have not been worshiping him. They've been worshiping all kind of other gods, but they haven't been 
worshiping him. And so Josiah says, we've got to fix this. Not only do we need to clean up the temple, but we need to reestablish the worship of God in the temple. And you can read this in 2 Chronicles 35. I will not take time to read that for you today. It's a great passage to read. But let me quickly tell you what Josiah did. Josiah called all of the people of Israel, the Levites, the priests, brought them to the restored or refreshed temple and said, we're going to worship again. And one of the ways they were going to worship is that because for almost 60 years, they had not even celebrated one time the Passover for 60 years almost 55 plus years they had not celebrated the Passover one time and so he brings them all back together and says we're going to celebrate the fact that God brought us out of Egypt and led us across the Red Sea and he's bringing us to the promised land and we're going to remember what God has done and remembering what God has done remember what he's doing and wants to do in our lives we're going to become worshipers again and by the acts of Josiah, you can read about them again there in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, he reestablishes, he refreshes the worship of Judah. And God shows up in a tremendous way because one man said, you know what, we're not going to go on any longer with a heart that lacks worship, with a lack of actions of worship. We're going to be worshipers. Let me tell you today that if you want all that God has for you, If you want a fresh life, the life that is producing fruit for God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, nine fruit of the Spirit. If you want that fruit in your life, that sounds pretty attractive, doesn't it? All that kind of fruit. If you want to bear fruit for God for the purpose of His kingdom, you want your life to be used by God to advance His, His purpose in the world, let me tell you something. You can't be that kind of person and produce that kind of fruit without being someone who is a worshiper. What has cooled your worship? What has compromised your worship? Is there something in your heart? Is there something in your actions? Look at the last notes that I have left you there on your page. How do you renew your worship? The first thing is you admit your need for it. Do you need to be renewed in your worship? Then you let go of your pride. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, just to say, God, now I realize that I've been about me instead of about you. You have to release your hurts and your offenses. You can't be a worshiper. You can't say, I love God and hate people. It doesn't work that way. You have to be willing to open your heart to people again, to love. You have to be one that's choosing to obey God's word and say, you know what, I want to live according to the word of God. You have to practice the activities of worship as we talked about in both private and in public. And the last one, would you read this together with me? Do it when? Now. Don't procrastinate any longer. If you have been cooled in your worship, if you've been compromised in your worship, the longer you wait, listen to me, the longer you wait to refresh your worship, the harder it will be to refresh your worship. Because if you're already hardened in your worship, let me tell you what happens The longer you go, the harder you will be. Take soil, for example, that has not had rain. If it continues to go without rain, without rain, without moisture, does the soil just sort of automatically get soft? No. 
As the moisture is withheld, the longer the moisture is withheld from the soil, what happens to the soil? The harder it becomes. And the same is true for you and me. The longer we wait, the longer we go without saying, God, I want to come back to you and worship. I want to make sure my heart is where it needs to be. And I want to learn your prescribed ways of worship and engage in them myself. I want to be a worshiper. The quicker, the faster we do that the better off we are. If you're hardened at some level in your life today, let me tell you, there is a way back. But the choice is yours. The good news is if you'll make the choice, God will meet you. Aren't you glad that God knows how to rain on hard soil and make it soft again? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for speaking to us. And Lord, I pray this morning that you'll take the word of God as the plow of your word has run deep in our lives today. We pray that you would plow up that fallow ground Help us to respond to you. I pray for those who perhaps have become cooled in their worship or compromised in their worship. I pray that, Lord, if the issues in their heart, I pray that even in this moment you'd help them to let go. Lord, for those who compromised at some level, we pray that today would be a day like with Josiah. We would once again renew our worship of you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Well, perhaps as you've been watching today's broadcast, something's been happening inside of you. Maybe you felt a stirring in your heart, something that's reminded you that you need to get some things right in your life with God. The first way we start in that journey with God is to open our hearts to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of our life, to turn all of our life over to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. It's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Would you bow your head with me and pray this prayer? Say these words, say, Jesus, just acknowledge that He is Lord. Say, Jesus. I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all of my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, I want to encourage you with the promise of God's Word that says when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there's salvation that's brought to our lives. He changes us on the inside, from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you, you need to take some next steps. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word, to make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it, to spend some time each day in prayer. We have some resources available for you through our website. We'd love to provide those for you. Just let us know that you need those and we'll make sure that we get them into your hands. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.